You're listening to Around Comics. podcast where we talk about everything in and around the world of comics. I'm Brian Salazar, and with me is the hostess with the mostess, Mr. Christopher Neesman. What's going on, buddy? Ah, you know, hanging in there. Yeah, just hanging in. Hanging in. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, you're a little quiet on the mic, I think. Is that any better? A little bit. A little bit. We both have our... Is that better? Sounds the same. I don't know if anything changed. Is that better? Is that better? Is that better? We're so professional. We are. Is that any better? That seems that seems pretty good. There. That? That? Hello? Yes? Maybe? Check one, two? I, I don't think I can tell the difference. <laughs> there. We'll put this That's there. Cool. That's Come beautiful. In. Coming close. Come yeah. in closer. So 14 years of doing this, you figure we could get a freaking mic check. Eh, what would be the point? <laughs> How you doing, bud? Yeah, you know, hanging in there pretty good. Yeah? yeah. You're still well quaffed. Have you gotten that haircut yet? I did. It's been cut. It's a little long on top right now, but yeah. I've definitely had haircuts. Yeah, my barber's open. Nice. My barber. I haven't gone to a barber for years. It's great. Well, yeah, you don't have that problem. I, I do not. It's awesome. Go to the barber every morning in the shower. I uh, I'll deal with it. Uh, you know. Yeah. I was watching uh, uh Jack Black. He's uh J- Jablinski Games. Have you ever watched that on YouTube? No. What is that? It's uh, it's basically Jack Black. Um, um. I would say um, slowly descending into madness during during COVID quarantine. Well, I mean, he's he was kind of close always. So he was he was a little close, and uh, what I stumbled across it because he was doing basically a Jack Black version of a game channel. It's Jablinski Games, and it's him playing Red Dead Redemption Two, which I've oh. been playing, and it's it's hilarious because he he narrates it as as an old old timey Western guy the entire time. And it's, and he plays video games pretty much like I, I do to where you're pretty like almost once per video. He's like, God damn, I'm so bad at video games. <laughs> yeah. I've just about given up on him. I I'm ter- so terrible at him at this point. You yeah. know, I saw Jack Black. I saw uh, tenacious D many, many uh-huh. years ago. Yeah. And their opening band, this, this is how long ago it was. Their opening band when we went and saw them was this little like ska punk band with a female singer called No Doubt. I don't know if <laughs> that's heard awesome. of them. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. There's, they, were awesome. they were phenomenal because they were, you know, they weren't, they hadn't turned into sort of the pop sensation that they, they ended up being, but. Was before the before the top forty success, they yeah. uh, Jack Black and I, I forget his partner. Uh, from Kyle, Tenacious D, huh? Kyle, 
Kyle, yes, Kyle. Kyle Glass, I think it is. Kyle, yeah, Glass. This, may, this may have been from a, uh, a Hot Ones episode. They did uh, Hot Ones, which is one of my favorite uh, YouTube channel you've seen that right with the uh the interview with the progressively hotter chicken wings it's uh it's a great show but i think that may have been uh where they talked about like their worst their worst gig ever and i think it was it was like miller light or somebody it was i think a beer company or a soda company that uh did this big promotion of come to LA for this massive rock concert giveaway thing. And so the people who won this had no idea who the, who the star band was for this, this <laughs> awesome, awesome rock concert. You know, I think they were like expecting like, you know, you two or, or you know, some, you know, huge some big band, some, some big band. And it was tenacious D and he said, yeah, the, the curtain opens and they announced tenacious D and it was just rains and rains of booze. And if they had had you know, rotten, you know, vegetables, they would have, you know, hoisted them up upon the stage. It was, yeah, it was pretty, he's like, yeah, it was, it was the worst idea ever for us to do as a band. They were really fun, though. I mean, they, oh, and yeah. they actually could play. I mean, it, you know, it just, uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta know what you're getting into with them. I think if you if you're going to a show and you think you're getting like this awesome rock band, and then you end up with Tenacious D, you're they are an awesome rock band. They're well, the most yeah. awesomest rock band. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose so. <laughs> In one way, yeah, they are for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier. Uh, we both had some 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 golf experiences this weekend. It was the f- first time in three years I've, I've swung a golf club and uh, the results were predictable. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I, I went once last year. I used to golf a lot. I went once last year. I went and then I went. Yeah, this morning. Uh, it was good to get outside. Yeah, it was it was nature early and. It got hot by by the time we were done, but it was nice for a while. Mine was a, a scramble. It was a, it was a, a charity golf outing uh, with a bunch of my my curling friends, and uh, uh, one of the it's a, it's a couple that I curl with, and they do uh, an annual golf outing for ALS uh, research. And so it was a ALS fundraiser, which was great. So we were out there for a good cause and got to see some friends that I haven't seen since the winter time and, and go out and be responsibly socially distanced and, and, uh, be one with nature. It was nice. It's good time. Be one with nature. We were one with nature. (laughs) I only, I only went through two and a half sleeves of balls in 18 (laughs) holes. (laughs) I lost one because I hit it too far. One sleeve? No, no, one ball. That's yeah, yeah. I went through. I went through about twelve dollars worth of worth of balls, and they're like, "Aren't you going to look for that?" And I'm like, "I haven't golfed in three years. Probably not going to golf in it for another three years." They are. They are. Those balls are one with nature now. They're <laughs> part of the ecosystem. <laughs> I lost one, and I found five. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of that. So yeah, it was fun. It's you know finding those things to to do through all of this uh, all of this silliness. Um, so Tom's going to join us in a little bit, and we're going to talk about uh, Tiananmen 1989, which we've been uh, teasing here for a little bit. And then uh, Sal, you've got it's your pick after this, right? You're up. I believe it is. Yeah, I right. believe so you, you got your you got your 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 pick all picked out. 
I don't know yet. I haven't. You're I, I, I you're waffling. I, oh, I'm waffling between two two different books. One that uh, oh, the speak of the devil. There's a uh, there's the oh. devil. Speak of the it's devil. Tom. Hey, what's up? Hi, Tom. You or do we like this view? I like that. You yeah, like I like that better. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, I see my dogs walking around Whoa. in the bedroom. No, no. <laughs> I don't like the three narrow. I feel like we were just talking some golf, Tom. Oh, shit, that's some boring. That's some boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, shit, what can we have after Tom gets here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got to stretch. We had to stretch before. <laughs> we got to talk. We got to talk golf. Like, uh, wow. yeah. um, so, uh, what have you been watching on YouTube this I'm, week? I'm glad I'm glad I missed the golf talk. Jeez. <laughs> you know, it is it is Hatch Chili Pepper season, so I was going to start talking about Hatch Chilies. So you Ooh. really saved us, Tom. Yeah. Well, I got some tomatoes ripening on the vine as we speak. You know, it's time of year. It's, it's tomato talk. It's tomato talk. Tomato talk and around comics. <laughs> I was watching a, gl- a glass blowing competition. Have you seen that? On uh, a glass blowing competition. Yeah. <laughs> Who could blown blow away glass? Blown away, and it's a. Oh, I've seen blowing. that. Yeah, it's like Top Chef for glass blowers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blown away. <laughs> blown away. It was, it was interesting. Yeah. It, it, it is. Like, kind of, it's a little bit of like Forged in Fire meets Top Chef. Uh, it was, yeah, it definitely, it's, you know, I mean, they make a show like that out of anything now. You can, like, any kind of competition, baking, cooking, knife making, you know, they can do, with no trucker competitions. I'm still waiting for yeah. truck driving, truck driving competition show. What the hell? Nothing like Long that. hauled away. Yeah. <laughs> Hauling ass. It's like the, when I moved back from Massachusetts and the guy that was driving the, you know the moving truck i assumed when they picked up all our stuff it was like in this big 18 wheeler semi and i assumed when they were going to bring it to our place in chicago they were going to put it into a smaller truck but it, the same truck just showed up and the dude parallel parked it like on kimball avenue <laughs> it was the wildest thing it was the wildest thing I've ever seen. I don't seen. know if I could parallel park like a, a Mini Cooper on. I, I was I was like, he was like, oh, yeah, I got this. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> and he did it. And I was like, that's all right. That's that's, that's a man. Right there, yeah. That's a real man. Parallel parking a semi truck <laughs> in, in a busy Chicago street. And one go, just one smooth, just like backed it right in. No, no rocking back and forth. There was no back and forth. He just (laughs) (laughs) the only truck driven in the city was like a box truck. I used to drive a box truck once in a while for this company I was working for, and I was like, "What's that?" that? No, it was before Cap. and uh, just every once in a while, we'd have a job in the city, and I'd have to take a box truck down there. And it was a nightmare, like trying to, you know, I was I was like twenty. I did I barely had driving experience of, of a truck at all. And these guys would just send me into the city with this rented truck. <laughs> I think I I fucking clipped somebody's BMW once. <laughs> was like yeah, sorry, and just kept going. Like, I just, I'm not, I'm not, so I just I just got a new car. 
and and traded in my the the old Santa Fe, which is is probably the car that you guys have known that I've driven yeah. since like two thousand like nine, and uh, and I took it to the dealer up here in in, uh, in Wisconsin and traded it in. It's like, yeah, this car has been through uh been through some shit, hasn't it? Was, oh yeah, I lived in Chicago for fifteen years, and I'm like, oh okay, <laughs> it got beat up. Some yeah. box truck hit it. Yeah, yeah it's the box truck. Left me. The box truck. Guy never stopped. He just yeah. waved as he went by. Yeah, it had it had some 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 city scars on it, which was. Uh... I remember going I, like one of the not first times, but when my kids were real smaller and we went into the city and like parking, you know, just sort of the the little Chicago bump you you give you might give them. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not you everyone know, appreciates the bump. My my daughter like freaking out, you know, <laughs> doing that. It's just like, yeah, it's you know, you got to. What are you gonna do? You got you got to park. We got to make a little room here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a little Chicago bump. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Tom, I think we're gonna jump into uh, Tiananmen, nineteen eighty nine, and then, Sweet. then uh, see how that goes, and maybe talk some other comics here. But are you ready to? Uh, are you ready to talk about your? Oh yeah, book choice. Yeah. Your book of the quarter. My book of the quarter, yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. Tiananmen, 1989. Our shattered hopes. I got it correct this time instead of the uh, the subtitle that I uh, gave the wrong one that time. Uh, (laughs) Written by uh, Lun Zhang, uh, who teamed up with uh, French journalist Adrian Gambaud with art by I love this name. Amazian, I'm going to guess, since it's French, Amazing. but I could be on Amazian. Um, yeah, it's a great uh, little nonfiction book that I think is uh, extremely relevant to our times and very, um, you know, the, the phrase, a picture is worth, you know, uh, a thousand words or whatever. This book is kind of like an interesting way of thinking about that not being actually true at all, because, uh, you know, for many people, you know, the, I, I, what happened in Tiananmen Square in 1989 is essentially boiled down to a photo, you know, like the famous photo the guy in front of the tank, the guy in front of the tank. And I'll my hand on that. That's that's about all I knew. About. <laughs> all yeah. you know about. Right. And so you walk away. At least even I did, you know, like I've always thought like, oh, okay, like that was like a big moment. That thing, that guy standing up to that tank, which, of course, that guy standing up to the tank is, of course, you know, an incredible moment. But if that's all, you know, then you've missed out on, you know, the the fact that um, the day before that happened, there is like a huge slaughter of protesters. Right. So like over time it's sort of like that picture has sort of i think become all that tiananmen square is about right that's all anybody knows about it and you can walk away with almost like oh they won you know like the good guys won but it's not true that's not, the <laughs> that's not like that you're not, not getting the, the way <laughs> you've you've missed out on what the actual story is and what's happened and uh, the amazing thing is too is that um you know uh 
the Communist Party in China has effectively pretty much erased it from their history. You know, it's uh, doing some research about this book. It's common for people under the age of 30 to not even know Tiananmen Square happened in China. Like, it's just not known. It's like been pretty much erased from history. That's you know. insane. I mean, it's it, it, it's insane, but it it's not as insane as like twenty years ago. If if you told me that, yeah, like I can kind of like, oh yeah, I can see that happening. Like, yeah. But if you would have told me that twenty years ago, I was like, come on, that couldn't possibly be true. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's it goes back to you know like World War Two, whenever they found the the concentration camps, and it was Eisenhower who basically said that he wanted as many American troops to walk through those concentration camps as possible. And they said, why? He's like, because at some point people are going to deny that this ever happened. And so we need as many people as possible to see this, that, Mm -hmm. that that this happened. And I mean, the, the Tiananmen is, is a perfect example of, you know, Yes, when when things like this happen, people in power will deny that that it took place, and and we're seeing that in in real time. Yeah, and, I, and if you don't haven't read the book, I don't know exactly what's happening. It's written by well, Lun Zhang is uh, was a professor in mm-hmm. Tiananmen when this happened. He was one of the people that essentially because he was one of the oldest people involved in the protests, he ended up sort of trying to organize it. He was like the adult in sort of like what yeah, was happening. These are all college kids. Yeah. And he's essentially, yeah, I mean, he's been exiled from China since then. I mean, he's now in France. He, he can't go back. You know, many of the people who were involved in the protests who did escape can never go back. Right. So like it's a really as somebody who prides himself on knowing a lot of history, I can't say that I was ever taught what actually Tiananmen Square, what actually happened and what it was about. And to read this book is like, it's a very, it's a tight book. It's not a belabored long explanation. He gives you enough to understand what's happening. Um, Doesn't get like bogged down in like too much, like sort of, complicated politics of what's happening like he explains you know the the setting and why things are happening and um gives enough flavor to the um different characters within the book that you can kind of start to the opening of china to the west yeah. that yeah. kind of created the environment for for people to to really crave democracy and 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 an opening of yeah. of human rights and and you know, uh, free journalism, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like the approach to both the storytelling, you know, the, the art does a really great job of conveying both the fact that this happened, right? right. Like they, it's not an, like a sort of artistic embellishment, right? Like you get the sense of like, they're trying to capture things that has happened, but still give it like an emotional resonance to it mm-hmm. of like through the art, which I thought was really great. And like, I, I, I thought it was really one of the best nonfiction books I've read in a long time. As far as like, I totally understand what happened. You know, history can be really complicated and like for Americans, we are never taught how to 
we're never taught how to understand like history of of China, of Japan. Like those are things like even you know when I was a kid and you go through history, you know history is taught differently than math, right? Like math, you learn how to do addition, then you learn subtraction, then you learn multiplication, then everything builds on each other. Mm -hmm. But when you take like history in eighth grade, they just teach you history. And then if you take history again, which some people might not, they'll be like, actually, no, this is history. And then they (laughs) teach it all to you again, but like the version that you can understand. And then if you take it again, they're like, actually, this is history. And then you learn that version of history. That's the more complicated version, right? You know, like you go from Thanksgiving is this to this to actually Thanksgiving was awful. And it's a, yeah, you know what? It had nothing to do with states' rights. Yeah, exactly. And in America, you know, I, I feel like um, it's it's really interesting to me that I feel we're very China illiterate, both like historically, like geographically, like we're just not. It's immense. I mean, you talk about yeah. Chinese history, and I I know a little. I'll be like a little, a little. I mean, a sliver because my wife. Uh, got a her master's in uh, traditional Chinese medicine, so she's you know acupuncturist and and herbalist no. and that. Hmm? No, what did you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but part of that, I mean, part of that was like the medical history of of China, and you you start to get a little bit of an idea of how immense that history is. Yeah. Our history as a country goes back to, you know, like the 17, you know, 1700 something, you know, whatever, you know, pre pre revolution Chinese history goes back thousands of years. Yeah. It, but, it's the history. yeah. I mean, it's to me, it's like more than just like the length of time. It's like an understanding of, like the the basis of culture, right? Or of mm-hmm. we're the only things we're taught about Chinese history are when Western countries interact with China, and then it's like essentially it's, it's, that's it. Mar- it right? Marco Polo, the, <laughs> yeah. the Great Wall of China, and and Nixon, right? So, like in a sense, what makes this story really interesting in a lot of ways is that it's it's about Chinese history within China, like the actual things the tensions and the um, the arc of history within the country itself, that's not necessarily like, now here's the time when England landed in Hong Kong, right? Like it's just a, a almost a version of history that I can't say that I've ever read about China or like have been exposed to truly. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I get that as well. Like, it was a really interesting perspective to read it from. Obviously, someone you know, the narrator, narrator being someone that lived it and and was in the middle of it. So that was really interesting, and not you know, not having. I mean, in the spring of 1989, I was 18 years old, and I remember seeing it on TV. Uh, you know, the the guy standing in front of the tank and the protesters, and so I had a little bit of a history of it. I do, yeah. I knew a little bit of it, but I mean, that could have been, you know, in another situation, it's like, I, I could have been a college student at that. You know what I mean? Like at that, yeah. time, and the, the idea of like these college students 
you know, doing this and, and, and making, you know, these protests to try and change things. And one of the things that was really interesting to me in the book was at one point that, you know, he's talking about how they weren't like, they weren't trying to change the country. They weren't trying to change communism or work outside of the system. They were just going, this is unfair within the system. We believe in what you you know, the country, we believe in, in the party and everything else, but, but this is unfair and it needs to change, which I thought was really kind of interesting in, in comparison mm-hmm. to like, you know, what we see today, a lot of the protesting going on of sort of this, you know, burn everything to the ground and, 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 and rebuild from the ashes, which I don't know, you know, is, is particularly wise or, or effective, um, a way to protest. Because if you look at like this story and, and one of the, you know, kind of, really important moments in it was initially when the army was coming to Tiananmen square, like they were stopped by people just like regular citizens in the country. Like we're blocking roads and keeping the army from coming in because they believed in what these kids were doing. These were their children and, and they, they supported them. And I think a big part of that was because of the way that they were doing it. You know what I mean? Like they were, Mm -hmm. They were garnering support throughout the country because they were, you know, justified in, in what they were attempting to do. Like the, the the unfair things that were going on were, were you know, I mean, any kind of right minded person would, would probably agree with them. So, like, I thought that was a really interesting thing. And, you know, like I said, especially in, in sort of comparison to what we see going on in, in this country today. Oh. You know, which I don't even understand. Like, I don't even it today. You know, I, my my memories. You were we're just a couple years uh, apart. We're, we're a little older than Tom. Nineteen eighty nine. I was a sophomore in high school, and I think you were what senior, right? I would have graduated in eighty nine. So yeah. Um, and I I remember some of the news reports of what was going on in China and Tiananmen Square, and it, it, it's it's hard looking back on that through like a thirty year old you know spyglass, but I don't feel like it's any different in how it was reported than what's going on in Hong Kong right now. You know, it's the the same thing is going on right now is that you have these people and mostly young people that are, are crying out for, you know, democracy and, and it's being reported. I feel like, you know, history is repeating itself right now, 30 years later. And, and, and reading this kind of gave some insight, you know, kind of like Tom said in understanding the, the background and the, and the history of that country and, how the people that live there have to kind of digest that, the, you know, the, whatever the message is from, you know, from the government, which is, is not always truthful. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was really well done. That is one of the biggest things that I have, you know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've become, I think it's just sort of a natural thing. You become a little more interested in history. Mm-hmm. certainly more so than when I was younger. And, but one of the, the hard parts of it for me, a lot of times is the context of like, okay, well, what led to this moment? You know, it's like, I want to understand, you know, what led to a particular moment in time? Like what was, what was going on 
in the in the world or in the country or you know around those times and this i felt like did a really good job of that of setting you up and explaining you know enough history before this period enough of the politics but didn't like you said tom it didn't overwhelm you with it just enough to understand the context of okay and it did and i thought it really did it you know in in almost too fair of a way you know like Mm -hmm. wasn't you would kind of think this book would be a bit more radical or say that again more radical no i just think more More angry more angry and it's not it's it's like this you know which was really an interesting thing it was like they they there wasn't like an anger there wasn't even even today like the, the there was a sorrow and almost just like a sadness that they didn't accomplish what they wanted to accomplish, you know, as, as much as you know, they were trying to, you know, stand up to the government and, 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 and make things change. It didn't really happen. Like I said, this is, this isn't a happy story. This is a tragedy. Um, and nothing's really, you know, nothing's really was affected by what these kids did. And a big part of that is because no, you know, because it, it was erased because nobody knew because people didn't understand, you know, and it's, it's interesting now to sort of look at it and go, well, you know, this story was more well-known, you know, how many other countries would be, would, would, would have supported these kids or how many other people around the world. It's, it's such a, it's such a weird thing to think that, you know, it's like, I, I think back to like the Vietnam war and, you know, a big part of like the end of the Vietnam war was the media, you know, like the media presence in Vietnam and the journalists that were there, the photographers and the videographers and the TV people that were there showing the world mm-hmm. and the United States what was really going on there for the first time. I, I mean, that was that was the first time in a war that really that kind of unfettered view of the horrors of war were seen. And, and that was a big part of, you know, the people that ended up protesting and, and, and the pressure that was put on politically in this country to stop that war. Um, and it's just weird to think in like 1989 that, you know, the Chinese mm-hmm. government had that power to just sort of like close the doors and, and, and just not allow people to see what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I remember or in, 20, or in 2020 or in 2020. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because it hasn't changed. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that, that is, I mean, that's, that's our shattered hopes. It's, they tried to change things in, in 1989 and they didn't. And we're still seeing it 30 years later that, that it's a government that is able to, to literally shut down anything that they don't want circulated, whether it's, it's on social media, you know, that's certainly made it more difficult is, is the internet and social media, but, yeah, it's it, it's it's you know utter control by a by a communist regime, and it's so like you take it for granted, you know. I mean, our entire lives of like the freedom, the freedoms that we really truly have. I mean, you know, whatever whatever is wrong with this country, and and certainly there are things that are wrong and need to be fixed and changed. Like you do have to look at like we we still have way more freedom of speech and protections sure those things than a lot of countries around the world oh absolutely you know and it 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 is an interesting to look at that and just be like 
you kind of take it for granted. I can post on Facebook that I think our president is a reprehensible human being that has no business being in a position of power. And I can do that without fear that I'm going to be imprisoned for it. Well, but there is a, there is, <laughs> you can. For now. For, for now. now. <laughs> I mean, today. But, but, but really, like, like we're getting also, we're, we're like getting to this point with social media where some of those freedoms are being stripped away because people are, are being canceled, if you will, for, for saying things or, you know, on Twitter, you know, 10 years ago and then, you know, having their, their lives completely changed, you know, not to try and like make apologies for people that, that say stupid things or do horrible things or whatever, but like the idea that you have to be careful of saying something on Twitter in fear of losing your job is fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. That the idea that there are people like actively trying to, you know, harm other people in that way because they don't like what someone says is is insane to me. Like, I will guarantee you that there are things that I said on this show twelve years ago that would in in today's world get me banned or fired or whatever, especially if taken out of context. Well, I, th- but there's a difference. There is there's things that people say that listen. If you tweet something, if you take tweet a racial racial epithet eight years ago, it doesn't yeah. take fucking Sherlock Holmes to go find it. No, like <laughs> sc- scroll back. The dude. internet knows. Yeah, like <laughs> right. It's but- like like all right. Then the, you did say it. Like all this cancel culture shit is like if all these people are canceled. Why do I keep fucking hearing them all the time? <laughs> like, you know, like, oh my god, I can't. You know, like there are cases of people like censure, being censured, or being like, like concerned. Guess, because yeah, it's one thing like if someone is a horrific racist, but that yeah. doesn't mean that it's not. A slippery slope, and it becomes something that. Like, where but, but I think the core of what we're talking about is that you know, there's the cancel culture is one thing. Having the government incarcerate you is something else. <laughs> I mean, listen, if you're a baseball player and you tweet out some racist stuff like eight years ago, and you've only tweeted ten things since then, like, dude, yeah, someone's gonna find, someone's <laughs> gonna ask you about it because, like, yeah. Like you shouldn't have said that. Like I, I, I just I'm. I think I think the cancel culture stuff so overblown and so just like not that big. It's like, have you ever read the book? So you've been publicly shamed. I have John Ronson. So the examples in there are really interesting because the the woman who told the joke that got like that. I to me. I'm always suspicious of I, I I'm not compelled by the slippery slope argument because I think that most of the time, you know, like we build stairs, we know how to do all these things, right? Like we're not constantly like sliding into oblivion, right? Like, so to me, I'm always look I look at it case by case and like, I, yeah, you're, I think, a you're a reasonable human being, Tom. Yeah, you're not you're not on Twitter trying to get <laughs> something you said 12 years ago. Yeah, but also it's just like uh, who like 
who are who are all these people that have gotten fired? I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. I, I my point is though not necessarily like whether or not who has gotten fired, who is the person. Yeah, it, it, yeah I get it. Yeah. it worked on or not. My point is at what point come back around to just someone doesn't like it. I mean, look at like. I, you know, it's, it's a it's a stupid example because I really don't give a shit about what happens to Ellen DeGeneres. But the idea that like sh- her show is in danger, her career and her livelihood is in danger because someone that worked for her didn't like something that she said. Like, where does that end? When does the sensitivity of like at what? But also, like she treat sounds like she treated her staff terribly. Okay, but the, but then don't work for her. Then go get another job. Okay. Does that mean so every- then she can go find another job too? I like I just don't understand what the way more it's way- why does Ellen deserve a show more than another person deserves a job? I think Ellen created that. Show. Sure. I mean she, she I'm sure she can find a job. And obviously, you know, she has something that people want to see. If if yeah. you did then she shouldn't have a problem. Well, but that's not necessarily the case. Well, is it or not? No, she lost her show or not? <laughs> What's the truth? Because one person or two people or five people say that maybe she didn't. Wh- but you're bringing up an example of something that some she hasn't lost her show. Well, she just gave her all she had to do was give people five days off. <laughs> but that's in that example. But yeah. the next thing, I mean, when is it? It's always going to be something someone doesn't sure. like about their boss. Yeah, like at some point, it's always going to be something someone doesn't like about yeah. else. My point is, is like, is like the idea of like regulating people's speech, and 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 getting people fired because of something they say on social media is is fucking ridiculous and insane. And, and the idea of like that's a good thing in some way, like that's a positive thing in some way. I don't see it. I don't see how that's helping anything. No, I mean, I mean, we're talking about you know what, what is what is a what is a step too far? You know, at, at what point? At what point does does something become too much? You know, it's it's you know where sure. is the, where, you know where is the line? Of course, between, of where course. is the line between Ellen DeGeneres and Harvey Weinstein? Anything is too but anything if too much of anything is bad, right? Like I, I'm just I'm not always convinced that all this like that there's something magical about social media that's all that much different than if someone had said something out loud that was bad in the past that someone heard and would have brought up yeah like if anything the thing that's changed is the desire uh, a growing upswell for people to be accountable for things they've said whether it's out loud or on social media. So I think there's a balance between it. I mean, I think there's always going to be examples of it going too far, but I also think there's always going to be examples of like, maybe this person should be held accountable or have to answer to it. It doesn't mean that they, you know, have to disappear, but you should ask them about it. To a, 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 a nameless, faceless mob on the internet that could be three people could be 300 people you you don't really know and it's amplified through this sure you know, I, again those are those are anything where it goes too far is obviously bad but also like if you've said something in the past that's shitty and someone you know not not say that 300 people are bringing it but someone bring it back hey like here's your tweet 
what did, why did you say this? Then no, you should answer for it. You said it. Yeah. Like, okay. Or apologize or say you believe it or then. Or say that you learned and grown and you no longer. Believe yeah. It. People have done that all the time and they are fine. Bringing it back to the book. Yeah. My point is who's, whose responsibility is, is it to do that? I mean, in, in the book, it's the Chinese government responsibility <laughs> yeah. and shut these people down because it's what's best for them. And they've decided that. So, so now we're, we're basically doing the same thing of shutting people's freedom of, of, of speech down based on because you don't like it. <laughs> just don't go on Twitter. <laughs> just like don't tweet stuff on. Okay, I mean, well, tell the 30 million people that are on Twitter that not. But yeah, I mean, like that's it's, that's it's unrealistic. there's a huge difference. There's such a huge difference between. Okay, people on Twitter are complaining and the government is telling me I can't talk. You know, it's like it's totally different. Uh, I don't I don't I totally it's so different. It's it's, yeah. I I just don't want I just think the idea of allowing people to to to, you know, to effectively censor people and and. The president of the United States can treat whatever he wants. And there's thousands of people like, responding and complaining about it. there's so many people on social media yeah. who say whatever they want all the time, whether it's wrong. And people get angry at them. So I guess I just don't see who we're all these countless examples how many people's lives that woman who tweeted that one stupid joke well that is true that's a great that's a great example of your point that is a great example of your point. Her, her life is completely destroyed yeah. while she's sleeping on a plane yeah. because people decided they didn't like a joke yeah that but to me for every one of those there's also you know some weirdo lunatic who's like uh Tweeting out misinformation about you know it's that's the problem you you're making a judgment about a weirdo lunatic that might say something you don't you don't well yeah we're all talking about we all have to make judgments sort of living in a in a country you're not going to like what everybody has to say yeah that's very true well and that going back that's is who has the authority to censor people is it is it culture? Is it society? Or is it a small group of people in the government? Right? None of the above. <laughs> yeah. I I also don't, I guess I just don't think strangers on Twitter are the same as the Chinese government, but the same thing, Tom, I'm not saying it's yeah. obviously there's a difference between a government you know, institutionalizing yeah. censorship on a on a national level and and people getting fired off of Twitter. I was just saying well, we agree then. Yeah, I, I think they're different. <laughs> I still think it's a good thing, one or the other. Yeah. Either one are good. Yeah, they're 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 both evil. The Chinese government and Twitter are both evil. Twitter. I think there is a great um there's a I, I won't quote it because it's inappropriate. There's a great Tyler, the creator quote about cyberbullying that I'll share with you guys later. Okay. It's a, <laughs> that that uh, is not is not an appropriate thing for me to quote, but uh, I'll share it with you guys later. That I think is a great would be a, 
a, gr- a great exclamation point to this conversation. <laughs> What was that? No, it's funny. It's funny. You'll think it's funny. You'll think it's funny. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll text it to you guys. You're worried that someone won't like what you. What <laughs> well, no, no. When you see it, it it's sure. not a thing for me to say. It's showing restraint. You're showing restraint. Yeah, I'm showing restraint. Uh, back to the book, did you guys, you know, I, as I kept kind of getting into the book, I really felt, um, it was more like a documentary than a comic. Almost. It was the most documentary feeling comic that I've read in a long time. Uh, there's another one that I, I almost had to, um, reread. Hold on. Probably the the last book that I read that felt like this was uh, Cuba, My Revolution. I don't know. Have you guys, did you guys remember reading this? It's uh, Dean Haspiel and uh, Irvana Lopez. It's a fantastic graphic novel about the the revolution in in Cuba. It reminded me a, a lot or Tiananmen reminded me a lot about it, but they both kind of read almost as like biopics or documentaries through the, uh, through the, the spyglass of, of someone who was on the ground and, and involved with this. It's kind of like the one person's retelling of a seismic shift, historical event and that's that's really what Tiananmen kind of felt like was like okay this is this one person's retelling of something that that needs to be remembered as a major historical event in the last century and and I think that's the 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 fear is that I mean you said Tom that um you know people you know 30 years and and younger you know a lot of them don't even recall this as being something of of import and and i think books like this um that's kind of the the flagpole that they put is like you know this needs to be remembered as something that you know people died and they died for a reason and you know there's there's a weight to that and mm-hmm. you know for a graphic novel to be able to to do that that was kind of like the documentary yeah. that i had from it I I I don't think I read that book, so I will agree with you. Oh, uh, Cuba, my revolution. Yeah, I didn't read that. Uh, it's you. You'd love it. It's 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 great. It's really about here. Here, let me pass it to you. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, we got to do that sometime as a visual joke. <laughs> I was like, you know, I did not that I found it, but like there were. I wasn't sure who the speaker, like the narrator of this book was. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though they, they kind of explained it, I, for whatever reason, like I assumed he was the dude in front of the tank. Like I never knew that <laughs> he knows who that guy is. Yeah, No one knows yeah. who it is. Yeah, it's crazy. No way. Like I was like, really? That nobody knows who that yeah. just got in front of a tank and, yeah. and wandered off. Like that guy would be a, like a YouTube star now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's crazy because it's like if people know anything about that, it's that picture, right? And like no one knows who it is. It's perhaps not the greatest representation of what actually happened just from like 
you know, the, the, the dichotomy of like, of course they didn't run over the guy in the middle of the day, but the night before they did, you know, like that's, that's the, the, the interesting tension between what people know about it and like the truth of it. Right. It's like you, this picture that if you know anything about it, it's this, it doesn't represent the thing you think it does entirely. Yeah, it's it's a very poetic picture. I mean, yeah. it, it 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 represents the ideal of stand, mm-hmm. but in reality, you know, that guy probably got shot later. You know, who I mean, yeah, that, nobody that, knows what happened to it. Yeah, yeah we don't yeah. even know. You like he? Who knows? Like he could have been. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's a it's a it's a weird thing. Like, uh. It's also one of the things like nowadays that kind of frustrates me with, you know, how we're we're getting back to this sort of thing of like communism and socialism is this like these trigger, you know, fear words that, you know, and it's like, okay, what Bernie Sanders is trying to do is not. (laughs) It's not not really communism. (laughs) If you want to know, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't even understand like what real, like read, you know, read, uh, which is an incredibly dense fucking book, but like, you know, anything about, you know, Stalin and, 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 you know, it's like, this isn't even fucking close. Like you got, you have no clue. If you, if you don't understand the difference between like, you know, socialized medicine and (laughs) And yeah, communism yeah yeah and like forced collectivism of like farms it's like yeah there's there's a difference between the two of them yeah Yeah, i mean it's i mean and also the book's interesting just in light of like sort of cold war hangover culturally of like what americans think of communist countries or like what our perspective is like where we never really had a firm grasp of what happened inside those countries, whether culturally, you know, like we had the version, you know, the bad, they're the bad guys. Right. But like sort of the grasp of, and you know, something that reminds me a little bit of it actually is the Chernobyl uh, show on HBO about like showing like the reality inside these places that you think you understand, or you have this monolithic vision of what these places are like. And then you're sort of exposed to a story that's like, actually there's all kinds of tensions happening within that place with people who believe different things and people who like don't, you know, uh, don't see eye to eye about what the grand mission of the society is. Right. And, you know, seeing those stories about these places that, you know, we think we know, or we think we understand, but it's like much deeper, right. And that not everything, not all the interesting history is just like when we go crashing into some place or someplace comes crashing into us, right. Like there's a depth to these other places. That's really interesting. So history is not like a Rambo movie. (laughs) It is not always a Rambo movie. Sometimes it is. Well, I think, I mean, I think, you know, that's, I think part of it too is just like, okay, how do you sort of boil things down Mm -hmm. to any sort of comprehension level? You know what I mean? Like, 
especially in school. Like it's like, oh, we weren't taught that in school. Like, like motherfucker, you were not paying attention to history. <laughs> don't blame high school history, your high school history mm-hmm. because you didn't have a well-rounded vision of world history. It's, not <laughs> it's also crazy to try and teach world history. Yeah, that's in a, a year. It's a, yeah. it's an insane yeah. task to a to a sixteen year old. Right, like you know, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. But one of the funny things—not funny things, but one of the things, a couple of things on this uh, that uh, has brought to mind is like talking about world histories. I have a neighbor who is from Poland. Him and his family are from Poland, and he uh, he came here. I don't know, maybe ten years ago, um, and he owns like a a landscaping company and and does a lot of like manual labor stuff and real hardworking guy. But in Poland, he was a history professor of Polish, of Polish history. He was a, you know, he was like ancient Polish history. That was his, his sort of uh, specialty. And it's like, yeah, that's not really going to do him any good here. He can't, you know, it's like he comes here. It's like, yeah, nobody gives a shit about ancient, you know. <laughs> Outside of Chicago, he'd be okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But um, but the, one of the other things I thought about with this book, and, and like you're talking about like the idea of like not having a perspective on things and the depths and sort of intricacies. There was a there's a terrific documentary, and I can't remember the name of it now but it's on on the vietnam war it's on netflix mm. i think it just came out in the last year and one of the interesting things was like you know the the idea of like communism spreading like you know that was the reason we got into the vietnam war was was communism spreading same thing with the korean war and you know it's like if we don't stop them there it's just gonna spread and spread and spread and it's like that didn't happen like we lost that fucking war and yet communism didn't spread at all in that area like you know the this this sort of simple you know ideas that have created these gigantic situations in history because of like just short-sightedness you know what i mean like just sort of like this short-sightedness of governments and 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 no context you know, and the other thing that drove me insane about that documentary was the idea, like, and I, I don't remember the 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 person's name, but there was like sort of one of the early leaders of the Viet Cong. They were they weren't even called the Viet Cong at the time, but he was like one of the early leaders. He had reached out to like the CIA and basically mm-hmm. like help us stop this. Like this is wrong. You you need to help us. And they just completely ignored the fucking guy. It's like, you know, if you would have just stepped in, then mm. millions of lives would have been saved, you know, like, but no, I mean that, that the North Vietnamese hated the Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, they, they, I mean, they literally reached out to the CIA and were just like, you need to help us. You need to, you know, be our ally and help us stop this. And and we just completely ignored him. And it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I didn't, you know, I had no, you know. Uh, was that, there's a great documentary. <laughs> now that we're talking about documentaries, because this book does read to me like a documentary. Um, if you've seen The Fog of War, it's an Errol Morris documentary uh, with, um, uh, it's uh, Robert Mac- McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense uh, okay. during, during Vietnam. 
it's a great documentary about that that time and and him kind of admitting that they i mean they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants they didn't really understand the the geopolitics of of that part of the world it was like this monolithic vision of we just have to stop the the creep of communism and they didn't understand what was really uh the the history of that region um the way that those countries uh interacted with each other and you know tens of tens of thousands of american lives and and you know a, a million vietnamese lives were were lost because um basically some old white men didn't understand what the fuck was going on over there well i, I mean you know depending on whose opinion it could have been even more insidious than that you know like but yeah i mean it's just it's 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 so hard like in the moment though as as like i mean shit i look back at like in the 90s with desert storm you know my cousin the guy two weeks older than me we grew up like brothers he happened to join the military a year before you know desert storm and ends up you know in in fucking burning oil fields and and is literally like physically fucked up for the rest of his life from that but at the time like i remember waking up that morning that we were at war with iraq and sitting around a tv with a bunch of my friends you know we're young guys and we're all sitting there going okay, we might have to, we might have to sign up because it was just like the gymnastic ideal of this is an enemy. This is our enemy. These are, these are the bad guys. But in that moment when you're young and, and just not, you don't have a perspective on it. It's so difficult. I think to, to look at things differently, you know, I think we're, we're changing that. I think those, those things are kind of, Change. Oh, and I was gonna say, going back to like high school history, my daughter, my I was surprised. My daughter actually brought home. They had to read uh, the People's History of the United States uh, by uh, Howard Zinn. Howard Zinn, which is a fascinating book. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that stuff is changing to a certain degree. I, I think. do think so. Yeah. I mean, that book to me is like the one hundred and one of like, hey, actually, history is about this. It's not, you know. <laughs> Do you ever listen to uh, Hard Dan Harmon's or uh, Dan Hart? I do. I, I this is an entirely separate, a much longer and probably boring conversation about um, hardcore history. That I don't know if I want to derail this show with. I like. I I admire. I admire how entertaining it is. And I think it's an excellent way of getting people interested in history. My only criticism of it is it slips into great men of history territory. Sometimes where it feels very like it's sort of traditional in that sense, in a non-traditional format in a way like, and some of them I enjoy more than others. Sometimes I'm kind of like, "Eh, yeah, like, but it's cool. I think I, I admire the entertainment and I think if it gets people interested to get into more stuff, that's always a good thing. Like to make you curious to find out because there's no, no single show can explain everything. Right. Because like, of course you can't like it's, 
the more you read about something, the more you're like, I don't know anything about this. Like this. I to know, like to try and know the reality of any yeah. major or even, you know, minor historical events, like to know, like, I don't know. I mean, I've always wanted to do a parody version of hardcore history about something very mundane because I think that style is so yeah, like, like like when he slips into his like quoting a book voice is a, just makes me laugh. I don't know why, but it's so like dramatic. Like, I know, but it just it doesn't do it all the time. I think so. It's like certain ones where it's. It, it just the way it'll hit me sometimes will make me I'm, like I admire it. I think he does a really great job um, of of making history accessible and interesting. Yeah, well, that's I mean, I think that's a yeah, definitely something. Uh, anything educating people, I think, in some way. I mean, well, once again, it's it's going to be like how much of it. How do you know what any of it? You know, Howard Zinn's book's really entertaining. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, goes, no, this is what history really was. Okay. But yeah. How much of that is. Yeah. I think it's either like, it's very, it's very. uh, Howard Zinn's a book that you give to somebody who thinks that they know history and hardcore history is something you give to someone who like doesn't give a fuck about history. <laughs> like the Howard's in books, like a great way of being like, Oh, you've like learned all your great man of history stuff. And like history is driven by the battles and leaders. And, you know, it's the pitting of great like leaders against each other. And that book's a really great way of deflating or at least being changing your perspective. I can only imagine reading that book when it first came out, right? When like that wasn't, I think that viewpoint's much more prevalent now of like, yeah. it's more complex, but when that book probably first came out, that was probably like, what, you know, like history's not just, you know, like this prime minister met this, pri- you know, like the pitting of great men against each other, you know, like there's <laughs> stuff that happened. There's all why kinds of other people about that, Tom. Why, why is it you can't, you can't accept any great human history? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that is part of it, but I think he does a really good job of being like, there's all these other people alive who, <laughs> who are like, things are happening to them, people, you know, growing corn. Not- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh yeah I, it's a a book that I think um, now doesn't seem as revolutionary as it was it's when definitely it definitely not as radical when it, it, yeah um, yeah what about have you seen um uh, Oliver North's the history of the United States or people's no it's uh. It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I, uh, I mean, it's it's not. Uh, it's interesting. I don't what know. Is it? It's, I've never even heard of it. What is it? It's it's Oliver North's oh, sort of history of the United States. She's giving you a history lesson on the United States. Um, it it's. <laughs> as i think it is going to be no, i don't think i and honestly i think you would enjoy it more than maybe you think you would it's not as 
loony as maybe it sounds yeah <laughs> <laughs> part of me is like oh god is this going to be like the alex jones history of the united states no yeah that's yeah that's kind of what you I mean, <laughs> where you're like what is he talking about a little bit a little bit of that but not as much as you think actually i think yeah. i think you might actually enjoy it i mean uh, you know i don't know how accurate oh. any of it is but it doesn't it doesn't go <laughs> off into like un completely unfounded conspiracy stuff like it okay. definitely uses conspiracy stuff but stuff that has been confirmed you know there the, yeah, you know, yeah. there have certainly been conspiracies but it doesn't even deal with i mean it's yeah, like, Ryan contra conspiracy yeah I, you know i don't know stuff that happened yeah i mean yeah, yeah of course yeah. mk ultra and 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 you know that's, <laughs> Uh, should we just do a conspiracy uh, theory show? Or we just, oh, I would love it. Uh, we just list our favorite conspiracy theories. You, you just you just gave Sal a Woody. Uh, so I'm always like whenever whenever I find a new one and I start reading about it, I'm just like, like the first time I read about like the MK Ultra stuff, and I was just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. like one of those things. Where- MK Ultra is fucking out there, man. Like some of the shit that is documented that is real about that is like what? But, but also, it's always like to me, it's like you can really, truly, when a conspiracy truly reaches like its vine ripened, <laughs> it's when the the evidence against it becomes evidence for it. It's truly like the moment that it's like, ah, yeah. yes. <laughs> it breaks down for goal. It's like we've now entered like a Mobius strip of reasoning where it's like, wait, what are we talking about? Yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. Because it didn't happen. <laughs> That's, and it's like, wait. So next, so next week, we changed to around. <laughs> around conspiracies. Yes. I, uh, I, I, I just listened to an audio book called Chaos. Yeah, it was, was the journalist. He was he worked for Vanity Fair, and he was tapped to do an article on the the Manson family murders. Like it was like the thirtieth anniversary of them or yeah. something. And so they they sort of tapped him to do that, and he then proceeded to spend like the next decade researching what he found was like evidence that Charles Manson. Not that he wasn't involved in it, but he wasn't like it was. It was, it was MK Ultra and like LSD and psychedelic drugs and the CIA and all. And I'm like, and it was it was really interesting for a while because like okay, like the first half of the book is him going through the 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 Helter Skelter book, Bugliosi's you know book, and kind of dismantling it a bit and and truthfully so like a lot of what he brought up is is true like there were a lot of weird holes in Bugliosi's case in his book there was a lot of strange stuff that he's not the first person to bring up or that factually that does exist but then all of a sudden it goes from like that where you could see him sort of flip the switch and go <laughs> the whole see and and with zero evidence just go launch yeah. like full 100 mile per hour and- yes <laughs> and, and i'm just like listen to this going okay wait a second i don't hey, think hey, what just like, happened yeah. <laughs> it starts out like really solid like yeah. he's like 
he's got all this really like good, you know, journalistic evidence about the Bugliosi book, Helter Skelter. And I just happened to reread that book. And, and there's a lot of weird shit. Like there are some strange things in there of like, you know, like, like months went by, you know, like where Manson had been picked up and then let go multiple times by his parole officer at, at a time, like, you know, a year before these, these murders happened. And just, there, there's a lot of weird shit that definitely, I think more of it was like Bugliosi, you know, creating a case against Manson. There, there's definitely some strange shit in, in, in him creating that case. So there's, you know, there's a lot of evidence that he was able to kind of pull out about it. But then like, yeah, when I, when he starts getting into the whole MK Ultra part of it, it's just like, all right, you, you kind of, yeah, you lost I mean, well, before, before I talk about um, a comic book, have you, have you ever seen any of um, John Ronson stuff with Alex Jones, like way back when I, oh, yeah, when went to, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, when they went to the, or, or, uh, yeah, <laughs> not bad. That, that grove, wherever all the rich people go, yeah. and I—that's so great because it's like, yeah, it's a bunch of rich people hanging out and like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, that's what it is. Like that's like super powerful rich people like being weirdos, like yeah, like hanging out, and it's like the uh, watching like someone with like that someone who's gone like one hundred miles per hour into like insanity is looking at that and being like, ah, oh, it's like satanic. And then John Ronson's just like, yeah, it's like, of course. Yeah. It's a bunch of rich people. Are they probably planning some way to like make more money? It's like, yeah, of course they are. They do. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a hidden conspiracy. It's what they <laughs> do. <laughs> it's uh, the, the, it's interesting. Like, once people get seem to like get into the mode of conspiracy theories, like then everything, yeah, the conspiracy. Like you can't look and and listen that that shit that Bachelor whatever the hell it is, yeah, that, the Grove Bohemian oh, Grove Bohemian oh, Grove, yeah, it is weird. Like the, I've seen yeah. the photographs and video. It's it's odd. And anyone that would see that would be like, okay, what the fuck is going on? You would definitely think you know, insidious shit going on. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's odd, but yeah, Alex Jones. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's funny because John Ronson yeah. is such a level headed guy. Yeah. It's like, I love all his books. I've read all just of watching them like creep through the woods, yeah. like up to it. And he's like, Oh, we could just walk. up. To <laughs> he's like, why are you afraid to put a front gate? Can they let him in? Yeah, <laughs> Alex Jones is like he's got walkie talkies. Yeah. We're gonna yeah. dress in black, and uh, everything's gonna be. Uh, I love it. It. I. Uh, I gotta find that on YouTube again because I always loved. Uh, yeah, it was oh, one of my favorite things because it was the first time. It. It's like early. It, it's like young Alex Jones, which yeah. is funny to think of. This, uh, you know, he feels like he's been um, invading my brain space for <laughs> too long. Too long, uh, yeah. but it's great because it's just such like a perfect example of like that. Like I've now fully revved up to conspiracy mind. I've figured it out. I've got yeah. it all. Yeah. I'm watching this and I am like jacked up, ready to go. Like, yeah, and I love like like Ronson sort of questioning him too. Like yeah. Ronson just sort of always is the voice of reason. He's like, why don't you just ask if you can get in? 
Didn't he release a? Uh, I thought he released a book, like an audio book on Audible, like a short, um, audio Audible audio book about that, and like. I- I, I, I want to say he did something or released something on it. He did something about because, yeah, it's weird because it's from a long time ago. Yeah. Where like Alex Jones was a very fringe, like, oh, yeah, he yeah. was like not within anyone's like sphere of like under, of knowing he exists. And now he's like, like, how did he hook up with Alex Jones? Like, how did that even. He because John Ronson did a show that was about like UFOs and conspiracy theories, which was a great show. It used to be a, I used to see it on um, BBC America, and it was great because John Ronson's totally like extremely level-headed, oh, and really like really he really. does like he does a really great job of like being empathetic. Like he gets the people to talk to him. Like he's not like standoffish, but he, he also is him. like he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't like make them feel shitty about their opinions. But he does like quite like what do you what do you mean when you're saying that the vice the um, prime minister is a lizard? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. you mean like literally a lizard, or <laughs> do you mean like like metaphorically yeah. a lizard? Or yeah, it's like no, like literally a lizard. He's literally oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah so. I got to find those shows, but it's great because he's so, he's so good at being level-headed and like continuing the line of questioning and being like, why, what do you, why, what do you mean that it's this or that? Like he's great at it. uh, Did you read the men who stare at goats? Yes. Oh my God. That's like the movie's okay. Yeah. That book is like unbelievable. Like you get into, and it's like, really? Like this is, this is real. Like this isn't made up. This isn't fiction. Yeah. Like it's insane to think of what was going on with some of these and like how, and the funny, the thing I laugh about it with is cause like every time he would describe that one dude, I can't think of his name, but like the one guy who was the, the sort of original trainer of the, the psyops. Yeah. And it's like, all I could keep thinking was like, these are the dudes that opened up like karate dojos in the 80s. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> like that was that. Just to say. Yes. He does a great job of capturing that vibe of like, what are these dudes talking about? <laughs> Chris, if you've never, if you've never read that book, it is. I need to read it. It's a it's so movie. Great. It, is, it, is, it is a great audio book, but uh, it, it is absolutely insane to think that our government like it <laughs> was legitimately like developing soldiers to be like psyops yeah you know all scanner shit scan- yeah like scanners someone like, saw scanners like <laughs> uh yeah i mean and 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 when you read when you read the book it's like the guys that were in that that the it was like con men. They were like, yeah, they got con the government, like these soldiers, these military dudes were so afraid, you know, cause I think that's what it came down. It was like, they were so afraid that they were losing some unseen war. Yeah. yeah. They were willing to believe that a guy could kill you with his mind. Yeah. It was just like, they got totally just conned. Yeah. Just, and just, yeah. Winked. By these fucking, you know, like wannabe special forces dudes. It's insane. It's so crazy. Who wrote it? 
John Ronson, R O N S O N. John Ronson. He wrote the wrote that. He wrote um the uh, uh So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which is a phenomenal book. Them Adventures with Extremists is awesome. Yeah, Adventures with Extremists. Um he's got a few more. I've, I've Psychopath heard- Test. What? Psychopath Test. Oh yeah, that one's really good. Yeah. Psychopath Test is great. Uh, the one I, he did an audio book called the uh, the last days of autumn. Oh yeah, about uh, a porn the porn star that she ended up committing suicide. Yeah, well, <laughs> or yeah, or yeah, you're not sure, but that one was that was a tough listen. That was like that's a that's a mm-hmm. dark fucking book, man. But um, yeah, he's a really YouTube, and I put it in our our online chat, uh, a human effigy, how Ron Johnson and Alex Jones managed to successfully break into the Bohemian Grove. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Alex Jones. You know, the funny thing is like, there was a time where Alex Jones was super entertaining. You know what I mean? Like he was, when he wasn't. Yeah. When he, when you didn't like think he believed all this, like it was just like, Oh, this, this is just entertainment. This is just, you know, he's just kind of being funny. And, and, but then it was like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Like he, he really believes in this. Well, what am I, I I used to, I loved art bell when I was a kid, I used to love it. But now when I listen to old art bells, I actually get kind of sad because now I think about like, oh shit, this is where it started. Where like people were too dumb to like, well, but it was entertainment. Yeah, or to know like are incapable of discerning like reality from entertainment. Like, entertainment, and I'm like, I used to. Well, it's only the perspective of now, you know. Like I enjoy them, but then you hear them, and you're like, oh no, like right, like well, I, I'm starting. Like- I mean, how many Bigfoot shows are we going to have on the History Channel? <laughs> like, what the yeah, fuck? I know, right? like, what the history is that exactly? All right, here we go. We're going to find we're going to find Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Ooh. funny. It's funny and sad. Um, to, like to chart like the weird entertainment, how entertainment is fed into like um, people not being able to like discern what's real. Well, or like a book you you should. I, I'm listening to it right now. Uh, it's called Broad, Broadcast Hyster- Hysteria, and it's essentially it's about the uh, Orson Welles War of the Worlds podcast, oh. and um, it does a great job of putting that in context and then sort of examining why it became such a phenomenon. Because like the the conceit is sort of like. Not that many people really listen to it. How did it become such a like global fascination? You know, because over the years, it's like it seemed like you know it it was much bigger than it really was. But then it 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 puts it in context, and like uh, just briefly, you know, I don't want to get into it too much. But like one of the interesting things about it was like before before that, like there were like radio shows radio was extremely powerful there wasn't tv at the time so radio was incredibly powerful medium but like the news organizations cbs specifically like they took it very serious where they would not play a recording of events 
they felt that that was disingenuous to the public. So if, if they didn't have a live reporter at a his, historical event, they would not play a recording of it. And that changed with the Hindenburg. Mm-hmm. That was really the event where it was like such a big thing that they felt like, okay, we'll play the recording. But even then they were like, we have to make this clear. This is, you know, 12 hours ago, this happened. Mm-hmm. And then it just sort of like slowly changed and eroded a bit. And then there was like the March of times was a show on CBS where they, um, they would do voice actors. They would have impersonators and they were incredibly talented and voice imp- impressionists who would do like Teddy Roosevelt or, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. And to the point where people didn't necessarily know that it wasn't the real person, but they did it in an, in an, it was an entertainment, you know, they considered it entertainment. That's how they kind of got away with it mm-hmm. or the, how they justified it. Like this isn't, this isn't just straight news. Yeah. This is entertainment. And people loved it, but then Wells took it one step further. And, and, but it was, it was interesting, like the context of like seeing how you know, the sort of integrity of news reporting just started to break down over time because it was the advertising dollars were became more important than the truth necessarily and it just it started off small little things but then it just you know yeah everything fox news is orson wells fault uh you could go there i guess you could you could or whatever <laughs> yeah um yeah it's an interesting read in in today's context for sure i haven't finished it yet but it's it's uh you know that that's like the first couple of chapters is that sort of historical context mm-hmm. and then it, and then it goes into sort of like you know why people maybe were so affected by it and and it just gives you a really good idea of of the time very cool um so i guess we can wrap up tiananmen 1989 um it's a book hey it's a lot of conversation it obviously is a book that uh that can spur a lot of conversation more conversation than doomsday clock which i've tried to read for the third time and failed (laughs) so so put off put off the order on the hardcover on doomsday clock yeah where i'm just like oh boy (laughs) 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 yeah this was good tom i I enjoyed it cool i'm glad i could share it yeah um you got my wife to read it there you go yeah don't have her read doomsday clock yeah, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any danger of that. Yeah, we can get into that some other time. I keep trying to read it because I feel like I should. I just I fail every time at different points. I'm just like, ah, I, it starts off. Jeff John shouldn't be writing like Rorschach, rambling. Like it's not your realm. Don't do it's it. Not your. It's not your thing. <laughs> This is that's Alan Moore's thing. Just let Alan Moore, yeah. you know, like, just know what you're good at. They, they just can't leave it the fuck like alone. And I'm just like, please, no, don't start this way. And I've tried to read it multiple times, and it always starts off. I always, I think the next time I try and read it, I'm just gonna skip the first like eight pages because that always puts me like just in like 
my frame of mind just becomes like, oh, okay, here we go. Let's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, um, all right. Just stick the star girl, John. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like <laughs> I mean, it's kind of unfair for the poor the poor book because I watched the Watchmen show on HBO and you know, mm-hmm. sure, like it wasn't perfect, but I was entertained by it. Well done. I mean, it was very well done. It had like a broad, it had like an ambitious approach to it, whether it worked or not. Like it was going for something big, you know, and like, and then you read Doomsday Clock and you're just like, oh no, it's just like another Rorschach. And then like Superman's in it. And then it's just like, oh no. <laughs> I don't like where this is going, but <laughs> it's just like, it's so I feel I keep trying to read it because I love, I love Gary Frank's art. Well, I, I was a little anyway. warned off of it in this respect in that it's a 12 issue series. And I saw online that people like after like issue 10, they're like, Oh, it all makes sense now. I'm just like, I don't want to go like, yeah, I haven't gotten issues into a twelve issue series for any sort of payoff, and then and then the eventual letdown of the last two issues. To me, though, the problems I have with it aren't necessarily all just like I don't get it. It's just like weird tone things, and just like the example to me is just like I just like I don't need like legacy Rorschach. You know, like ramblings written not by Alan. Alan. You know, I'm just like uh, well, the problem with it is it's it's like well we want we want to use these characters. We don't really have a story, but let's make up a story just yeah. so we these characters. And it just is not a good way to write a story. <laughs> it's just like what's happening. It's like I here's these other characters, and it's like why is it like I don't understand why you know like it's. It's a slog, would be my okay. Did you guys like the before Watchmen stuff? Say that again. Did you guys like the before Watchmen stuff? Some of it was okay. I mean, I didn't think any of it was great. I, I, I thought it was. I thought it was an indictment that they had to basically ask what five or so different writers to come in and try and capture the voices of characters that Alan Moore had created. And it just kind of showed me, it's like Alan, I mean, that's kind of the brilliance of Alan Moore is that he was able to, to do so much with so many different characters. It's like, yeah, you know, Darwin Cook doing the Minutemen and the original Night Owl makes sense. Um, yeah. And he can do that. And so maybe we need Brian Azzarillo to write Rorschach. And and so it was was like all okay, but sort of inconsequential. Okay. Like the story's been told. Like there doesn't need to be it's a perfect fucking comic book story. It doesn't need to be nothing more needs to be told about it. Like there's there's nothing you're gonna add to it to make it better. So you're just like uh, yeah. you're just fucking dragging the corpse of it around, 
you know, weekend at Bernie style and, and, and just trying to make money. I mean, it's, it's, that's all it, the, the reason there was eight different writers and eight different artists on eight different books is not eight number ones. Yeah, they just <laughs> one book. Yeah. You got fucking exactly. Like yeah. you know, the clock is the weekend of Bernie's. Also, like, I guess to me, you know, I haven't read the, it's been a while since I read the before Watchmen stuff. So I'm going to say this and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I guess if I was to say, like, you're going to use the Watchmen characters in a comic book, I would think you want a bigger ambition than what they've done with them. Like, like, I guess, you know, I haven't, obviously I haven't finished Doomsday Clock, but one of my criticisms of why I find it so hard to read is that it feels so sort of ambitionless other than like, these characters interact with our heroes, you know, like, and that's like, like you said, that's its sole purpose. Yeah. No other, like, doesn't feel like there's any other like reason or like, you know, again, maybe unfair to compare it to the TV show, but the TV show had like an ambition of what it was trying to like purpose. be, you know? And like, it was like, Oh, okay. Like, this takes place in that place. It's not just trying to necessarily drag around the characters the whole time or like there is like something they were aiming for that was justified using those characters in a way for me at least, right? It, that the well, comic and, stuff and on the like, HBO show, I feel like they I feel like they told their story. Do you feel like bringing that back for a second season would kind of be doing what comics has done is is kind of you know tugging on that string and and telling more of a story that doesn't need to be told? I just, I don't know. I just feel well, like you're going to do a second season. You just need to do it with other characters. Like do another, you know what I mean? Like this was a small, this, you know, this was a piece of the Watchmen world, mm-hmm. but it was a legacy of something else. You know what I mean? Like it was, I mean, that the TV show Watchmen was a story about something bigger than those characters which is what watchmen is it's a it's 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 a story but it's bigger than those characters yeah like the story alan moore wanted to tell was about comics and about the problem yeah. it it's like the opposite it is so much just a, a kind of a modern comic like, yeah. it's, just, it's like exactly 180 the other way. But even like the TV show is a story about racism in comics. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's what that story is about. Okay, now let's let's tell that story with these characters in this world. Mm-hmm. It's not, hey, let's tell a story about John Osterman mm-hmm. and Rorschach. And then let's because we want to use those characters, and then let's figure out a story to to tell. Mm. And like okay. that's the problem is they're just we want Superman to fight, you know, Doctor Manhattan. Well, that's a really fucking lame, you <laughs> know, <laughs> use of a of a, a mate. Like, like those characters aren't characters; they're not just characters. They're you know, yeah. they're analogs for. Present <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, so it's stupid to like treat them. I think you've described one hundred percent accurately why 
I cannot finish Doomsday Clock because I'm just like, oh, it's it's like, have you guys ever seen the movie Less Than Zero, the the adaptation of the Brett Easton Ellis novel? I know no. I have Robert Downey Jr. It's one of the classic examples, and this is a perfect example. It's like someone read the book and didn't understand it. <laughs> it's like the things they change in the movie. I'm like, but you changed like the thing the book's about. <laughs> <laughs> like you, we're talking about James, James Spader. Yeah, Robert. Uh, like in the book, Robert Downey Jr.'s character dies. In the movie, he's alive. It's a huge. It's a monumental difference of how the <laughs> of how the of how like, in the movie. I he lives in the movie. No, he dies at the end, right? I don't know. Let me look it up. It's been a long time since I've seen it. He dies. Let me see. Something happens that's the exact opposite of the book. Is it McCarthy? Is it Andrew Andrew McCarthy? Andrew McCarthy, isn't it? Andrew McCarthy. James Spader is the drug dealer, right? Oh my god! It's been like fifteen years since I've seen it. It's an old fucking movie. It's a very. It's not very good. Book's good. All right. Either way, whatever. Something happens in the movie adaptation (laughs) that I'm like, wait a second. Like what? Like. I think you misunderstood what the book's about. Um, and I feel like Doomsday Clock's a little bit of that, where it's like, oh, yeah, Dr. Manhattan, he'd be a perfect person to fight Superman. <laughs> like, no. well, the problem with, like, sequels, like, you know, a lot of times, like, a sequel to a movie or a book, like, you get, a, you get like, you know, a, a franchise of books or something. It's like the issue is like, well, we love these characters so much, but you don't understand that we want to see more of it. But what you don't understand is the reason you love those characters so much is because they were about a story, not about the characters. You know what I mean? Like it was a really good story that had something to say. And that's why you like those characters. But then it became like, storytelling became just about characters. I mean, especially in comics, you know, modern superhero comics are just about characters. There's no, I mean, there's very little storytelling in modern day comics. Like what is the story of Peter Parker? You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. not that much different than it was 70 years ago. Well, not only just that, but like, what is the last like comic book you read where that was like, Oh, that was a really interesting story that had something to say. Well, you know, like when was the last, you know, outside of like Tiananmen 1989, because obviously that's, but I'm saying like a comp, like a, like a superhero comic book or a modern comic book. When was the last time you read a comic book that was like that, that really had something to say, not to say that they don't exist. Like the boys. Um, I just want to interrupt to say that I got it switched around. In the movie, he dies. In the book, he doesn't. Oh, okay. I was going to say, so when I saw the movie, I was like, but the, I thought the point of that character is that he doesn't ever suffer any repercussions from, 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 or from like, Yeah, or like, or he doesn't die. Like, it's like he's fucked up, but like, that's not like he dies, right? So you're just sort of left in this space of like, does he ever really, like, is he ever really have any sort of repercussions for what he does? And it's like in the movie, they're like, he definitely does. He dies. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. I think you misunderstood what this book's about. 
Yeah, I mean, well, like, uh, I mean, one another cl- sort of classic example, and I can't think of the, the differences necessarily, but like Bonfire of the Vanities. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, is this amazing novel, and the book is like, I mean, the movie is like the opposite of what the fucking novel is trying to tell you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so poorly done. It's like you didn't, you didn't understand the the theme of this fucking book. You know, like you don't. You, it, I just think like people fall in love with characters and they just don't understand a lot of times the reason you, you love a character isn't because that's a cool character. I mean, it's like the opposite of a Schwarzenegger movie. Like nobody watches a Schwarzenegger movie because of the plot. You know, it's like, Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's a badass and he's going and kicking everybody's ass and blowing people up. And it's like, Oh, awesome. And it's like we kind of treat every character that way now. You know what I mean? Like we just want that character over and over and over again doing the same thing. And it's, none of it has anything to do with a real fucking story. Yeah. So, Sal, you are not a Doctor Who fan. Tom, maybe a little bit. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen some Doctor Who in my day. So, I mean, we talked we talk before about, about the arc of the new Doctor Who actor it's Mm -hmm. it's 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 been the same since you probably you know probably since the 70s but certainly since the the chris eccleston um Mm -hmm. re the 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 reboot has been you know doctor is coming to end of end of story arc they announced new doctor um, internet goes crazy. Talks about how this is the worst choice ever, and they will they will hate this actor and this decision forever. Then they, you know, slowly develop an affinity. Love this doctor. Doctor comes to end of arc. They announce new doctor. Now worst decision ever, and you know, rinse and repeat. You know, and it's all about kind of what Sal is saying. It's like it's this love of character over story and it's the stories that end up making people fall in love with the characters again but they think it's the character cycle over and over and over again yeah it's a weird like i don't know i don't know how we we've we've sort of like when that changed so much where it's just like and like I said, in superhero comics, it's the worst. Like, when was the when was the last time anyone wrote a fucking like I said, a Spider-Man comic that meant anything? You know what I mean? Like, like that made you think about anything, that made you like change your perspective on anything. I mean, when was the last time anything happened in a super in a Spider-Man comic book story that was like that you remember? You know, that is even memorable. Uh it's always just like, oh, you know, that was when he fought that guy or that was when, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's never like, I mean, you know, the only time that it even comes close to being memorable is when someone dies. But that's not memorable anymore because they just come back and we know they're just going to come back. It's like there's no and not that there's no repercussions, but it's just like nobody's writing stories with these characters about like any kind of um, any perspective on anything like this is what I think I'm going to tell it in this story. 
You know, that was Alan Moore was, this is what I think about comics. Okay, now I'm going to write a comic book to tell you what I think about comics. And I'm going to make it really entertaining and you're going to, you're going to fall in love with these characters. But it's like, that's the perfect, like, people fell in love with Rorschach. Like, he became a <laughs> character. And it's like, wait a minute, you're not. Yeah, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting what he's trying to say with that character. Like, yeah. you know, and that's not, I mean, I, I don't even think that that's that bad. Because honestly, like, there are things about Rorschach that is admirable in, in, in certain ways. You know what I mean? Like, his tenacity and, and his, you know, like, protecting his friends. There were things about him that were admirable, but it was like, people just like, He's a badass. You know, it's just like he became like, well, no, he's this is the this is the reality of Batman. This is how, Batman would be insane. An insane well, he'd eating beans out of a can and he'd smell he'd, bad. He'd be bad. This is something I've always I've always kind of wondered and questioned. Do you think that Alan Moore was Rorschach any sort of like was it a love letter? Was it a um, love letters, the wrong term to, to Steve Ditko. I mean, because that's that's in a lot of ways, Steve Ditko. It is, it is the Mr. Mr. Oh, yeah. character, more, even more so than, than Ditko's question. I mean, it was Mr. A. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that, that moral relativity that, you know, black and white. Yeah. There's no, there's no in between it. There's only one solution to any problem and and yeah absolutely i think that was all of those characters in some way or another i mean you you know it's like you know he was originally going to use all those charlton characters yeah i don't know enough about captain adam you know to be like you know what it's you know adam was was a patriot captain adam was a soldier and then he became incredibly powerful he was a walking nuclear missile yeah. That worked for the government. Who does that sound like? You know what I mean? Like it's Dr. It, Manhattan. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan. He, he, that that was yeah. So I mean, I yeah. think those. But it, but it's also Superman. If you choose to make Superman that character, it, it, Superman has been that ultimate. You know, truth. You know, uh, truth, justice, in the American way. You know what I mean? So it's like you can you can. It, I think with more, it was just the idea of like. These are infantile people. You're, you're, you're the, the, the idea that somebody's going to be a billionaire playboy and get dressed up at night in black leather as a bat and run around beating people up is insane. Like you would have to be crazy to be that person. You know what I mean? Like you would have to be a crazy. And, and, and then the other thing of like, someone getting the power of a God, there's no way that you can relate anymore to the human existence. What is that going to do to someone? You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's the dichotomy of like Superman because he grew up on a farm in Kansas with two loving parents. He became this symbol of justice and truth. And even though he has the power to rule the entire planet, or fly off and never see it again. He stays here and he beats up guys who are businessmen. He beats up slumlords. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that concept is so silly. 
if you look at it like an adult, it's just such a silly thing to, to imagine any human being who would not be corrupted by the ultimate power of a God. That's, that's ridiculous. That's so ridiculous to think that No, it's cynical. Alan Moore was being very cynical with his work with Watchmen, but I think that was sort of the industry had gotten to that point. You know what I mean? I think, you know, so, but he wasn't, he wasn't writing these characters because they were cool or he thought they were amazing characters. It's like, these are the things that I want to say about this industry. And I'm going to write a story about that. And that's a, that's a true storyteller where it's not like, well, and, and I'm not trying to shit on like comic book writers that are working today and, and writing stories because it's a really tough thing. I think they're trying to create content. They're just trying to create content. Yeah. They're just trying to create content and, and, and to try and compare people to Alan Moore is silly, but you know, to then take that story and those characters and go, well, let's just make more stories with these characters. So they're really cool, interesting characters. Like completely ignored the idea or what Watchmen is all about. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so ridiculous. Now, I wasn't one of the people that was like, oh, you know, DC's a you know fucking horrible bunch of people, or all those creators are assholes for fucking shit. It is what it is. Like Alan Moore used other people's creations to write his stories. Sure. And I think they did the best they can, but it's just another example of like that is how good Alan Moore is. He's the best comic book writer who's ever lived, in my opinion. Yeah. And it just you just see it over and over again because nobody fucking comes close. Nobody has even come close to Watchmen in 40 years. Yeah. Nobody's even fucking cut, touched, come close. Same ballpark. I'm also saying that um, I don't <laughs> I don't like um, seeing other people draw the Watchmen characters as much as I like Dave Gibbons. <laughs> it's, it's not only story wise, but like there's something unsettling. Even here, yeah, where it's just like, ah, oh, this is a little too superhero. Like it's a little too Yeah. Like it's like they just need to remain in that little you're in Superman world, you know, where like this is how superheroes look, you know, like it's just I don't know, there's something about it that feels like just like diminished, diminished returns on something. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, I did it. That was, you know, I brought up the before Watchmen stuff and, you know, some of that stuff was fine. Some of it was not fine. Um, it felt okay to me for Darwin Cook to draw the, the, the Minutemen, like the, the yeah. 1940s, 1950s stuff. It's like, it's like, yeah, that, that works. That feels fine to me. But there were some other stories there. I was just like, yeah, no, no. I I don't need to see JG Jones, you know, drawing Rorschach or, you know, whatever. Um, but you know, that one, that one worked. Um it, you bring up uh, Superman and and the ridiculousness of that character. And one of the things I always think back on and and this kind of comes to to real life is that is that understanding um villains 
and supervillains. And I don't think it's it, it's ever been explained to me better than than understanding that the best villains think that they are the the heroes of of their own story. It's like Lex Luthor is is the hero in his story because he's trying to save us all from Superman. And I think understanding that perspective makes you understand villains better is that they're trying they are they're they are the heroes in their story and i mean that's just everyone you know like everybody thinks they're doing things the right like i don't think there's very many people out there that are like i mean those people are serial killers and socio you know like psychotic Mm -hmm. that are aware of what they're doing is is horrible yeah most people that have done horrible things think that they're doing it for the benefit of, you know, something. It makes you understand people better. And that's one thing that comics do, does. If you look at that, it, 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 it helps you understand people's motivations a little bit more. Um, There's a long way to go for, for something really cool that, that I listened to um, uh, almost by happenstance. We, uh, Marta and I went to a, a, a book club, here in in milwaukee that that they do this in parks and we got to the park and it's in shorewood and apparently they didn't allow pets in the park and i had one of one of our dogs with us and so i'm just like okay you go to the book club i'm just gonna go walk with with parker and i was like okay i'll find a podcast to listen to and 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 go out and so david Tennant bringing this back to to Doctor Who, David Tennant does a podcast now. It's called David Tennant Does a Podcast With. And so he has a different guest for for every every podcast. He did an hour uh, interview with Stacey Abrams. And it was like my entertainment and political worlds uh, colliding kind of stuff. And just hearing Tennant talk with with stacy abrams first of all she's a huge nerd which i never knew <laughs> who, who is stacy abrams stacy abrams uh um barely lost to brian kemp uh to be the governor of georgia she's uh she was on the uh by all accounts she was on the short list for joe biden to, uh, as a vice presidential candidate she's one of the rising stars in the in the democratic party uh, she will she will run for president at some point um really fascinating person and to hear her kind of in a in a in a podcast environment that she could kind of relax and talk about um like her geekdom was kind of interesting um but then as she kind of talked and that what i loved about it is that how her her geekdom influenced her politics and you know i look at at like doctor who as something that influenced me a, a great deal growing up of just in you know, standing up to oppression and, you know, thinking your way out of a situation before you shoot your way out of it. Um, you know, recognizing, you know, uh, autocracy and, and, and sounds and, pretty un-American to me. It, it pretty much, but, but listening to her talk well, about like her, well, huh? <laughs> do what? So it is a British show. It is yeah. a British show. 
So, um, but it's it's worth the fifty two minutes or whatever. Um, and yeah, she you know they, she goes down. She compares herself to uh, to the Hulk, you know, in her politics. You know, she says, yeah, um, I'm angry all the time. That's my secret, <laughs> but I can't show it, but I am angry all the time, you know, just, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was good. It was, uh, it was a really good podcast listen. And it was this realization that as you know, now I'm a, you know, mid forties, you know, white guy who's, who's you know, loved sci-fi and fantasy and, and geek culture my entire life. There's a generation of people, you know, coming up behind us that, that was not as far out of the mainstream and have really been uh, influenced by that. And, and not just people, but like political leaders who, who, you know, Dr. Who is a big influence on them. That was insanely cool to me. I don't know if that's a good thing. It's a great, I honestly don't know if it is. I think, I think, I think pop culture and especially like comics and 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 fantasy and sci-fi and all that stuff that that we grew up with is is such a I think it can create a such a unrealistic uh, concept of you know this is right and wrong or the, this you're right talking about the the unattainable utopia that yeah we're I, I, I think like. And it, but it also like creates this idea of there is a there is like some um, universal uh, balance of justice in the world, or like there is going to always like goodness is always going to win out in the end. Yeah, but I think it's really, I just read a book that kind of said that it doesn't. <laughs> No, it rarely does. It rarely does. But I think, like, surrounding yourself by that stuff, which I did, you know, all my life, it can create sort of this idea that there's going to be some hero to save us from. Oh, that's the wrong takeaway. No, I know that's what I mean. But wrong. That's that's what leads us to Trump. Is that there's someone that's going to save us? That's the wrong thing, and that's the Lex Luthor thing, right? It's like you know, no, it's there is no save savior. I'm going to save you from this person who 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 says that he's going to save us. Yeah, that's what you know. It's like Biden's the savior of no, no, absolutely not. (laughs) He's just he's just not the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, we're uh, we're getting close to uh, the the end of our of our time tonight. So, um, Sal, uh, have you picked out a uh, a book for us to to read here over the next month or so? Yeah, of course. It's going to be Immortal Hulk Volume One. No, oh, no. Haven't we already done that one? Doomsday Clock. Doomsday <laughs> Clock Volume One and two. we're going to force Tom to read this whole thing. <laughs> Getting just get sadder and sadder as he goes through it. Just, Watch uh, uh, actually, no, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm pull the trigger. Make a fucking decision. Relax, jeez. Why? Why? It's not that serious. He's going through his Amazon wish list right now. Yeah, I am. I'm. I'm trying to. <laughs> I don't want to buy anything. I got stuff. 
Oh, you know, well, no. I don't know if you guys want to read that or not. Uh, Final Crisis. No, I don't know. Give me till next week. I'll figure it out next week. You don't need to know today. What's the difference? Responsibility. Fine. Then we're going to read. No, that's a piece of shit. Um, I don't want to read any of this stuff. It's all terrible. (laughs) This is all awful. Um, well, Sal is uh, is trying to figure this out. Um, if you have any suggestions on what we should read or uh, comments on the show or just want to uh, shoot us a message, you can do so at info at aroundcomics.com. You can also look us up on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and all of that stuff and uh, drop us a message. Uh, you can uh, watch along on YouTube on usually Sunday nights around 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And those are all of the little plugs I have. Uh, we have merchandise, which is where, Sal? Uh, Roundcomics.com slash shop. You can get a coffee cup or a shirt or hat. All sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, right. got, I got nothing. You need I don't, a week, don't you? Huh? You need a week, don't you? You know, gonna, give him his time. I don't want him to rush into something and then I got to read it. And yeah, like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and then we have we have a, a book. Uh, uh, we discuss a book and we're all like, this is not, it's not good. It's not good, Sal. It's not good. He's done that to us before. I don't want to just pick something that I haven't thought about a little bit. And, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's any good, so it's like, eh, I don't know. Books before, and you've been like, and we've talked about, it and you're like, yeah, you know, I really didn't like it. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> oh man, whether I wanted to pick something like new Doomsday Clock Volume Two, Doom. <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to pick something new or pick something old. What would you guys prefer? Like something like new that we haven't read, or something old that maybe we've read a long time ago. I, I I never I never mind a revisit on things. That was yeah. that was sort of a uh, uh give me till next week. I'll figure it out and I'll figure it out. That's fine. Too much pressure. I can't take yeah, it. That's fine. We're okay with that. All right. Um uh anything else here we before we uh sign off for the week? No, I uh I think that's been more than enough for one one <laughs> week. More enough venting. <laughs> I, got to talk, I got to talk about Doomsday Clock. <laughs> I did like that me and Tom kind of got in an argument. That was kind of fun. It was. I was. Yeah, kind of the, it's, uh, you gotta give the you gotta give the fans some tension, right? <laughs> Can't agree all the time. No, I know. We've been doing this for like 15 years. I don't think we've ever really. I've, there might have been something. There might have been, yeah. yeah. There was that time in New York. <laughs> what happened in New York? I don't know. We were drinking. Was um, I was freezing. I remember that. Yeah. I had to I buy a I love New York sweater. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, what I remember about us going to New York is that we had basically spent about a week 
together at that point and we we get off the airplane and so Sal has to drive drive home but Tom and I can both get home on the train and I look at Tom and I was like so Tom you want to ride on the same train together and he's like no not really <laughs> I just want to be by myself <laughs> well, I really just need to not see you for a while yeah and just we've been Spending a lot of time together. You're exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that earlier this week. So, all right. On that note, um, we will be back uh, next Sunday. Hey, I might have a book. Oh, oh no! Did you guys ever read Starlight by Mark Miller, Gordon uh, Parlov? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. that's um, it's sort of his. Punisher Max guy, right? Gordon yeah, Parlov. Gordon Parlov. Yeah, this is sort of his um, his take on like John Carter Mars, sort of. Oh. Yeah, uh, I can do that. It's pretty good. All right, let's do that. I like that book. Okay, Starlight Volume One. Is there only one volume? Only one volume. Yeah, it's okay. it's, it's a it's six issues. It's a complete story. Uh. Yeah, I think you might like it. All right, cool. Starlight. Starlight. Nice. Amen. All right, so we'll read that. Um, so yeah, guys, uh, always good to talk with you. Uh, we uh, check us out on the on uh, the Facebook group and then all of the social media. Send us any messages, your thoughts on TMN nineteen eighty nine. Um, what what do you say? I said follow me on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tom dance moves. All right, uh, we will do that. around comics dance. We come up with a signature. <laughs> the robot. We'll be back next Sunday to uh, to talk about uh, everything that's happened in the world of comics. Probably not just uh, what we've read. Uh, in the meantime, bless you, Sal. <laughs> in between time, we'll be everywhere in and around.